Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Good morning, beloved family. How are you? What a special day this is. It's a first-class feast, Ash Wednesday. It's not a Holy Day of Obligation, but it is a first-class feast, the beginning of Lent. And I am, I am just so thrilled um, uh, that we have reached Lent. Lent. I know you say, Mother, are you crazy? No, I'm not. I'm ecstatic to be Catholic and to be able to walk with our Lord through his 40 days of wilderness in the desert, being tempted by the devil. I'm ecstatic about that. Because when you love someone, you want to be with them. You want to experience their sufferings. And he suffered so much for us. Um, We need to suffer with him. And so um, there's a wonderful article on the blog of the Catholic Eye, it's called, A Lampstand Foundation. And it's uh, St. Augustine's comments, an excerpt from him, uh, from his sermon on Lent. And St. Augustine says, Today we enter upon the observance of Lent, the season now presented to us in the passage of the liturgical year. An appropriately solemn sermon is your due so that the Word of God brought to you through my ministry, that is the ministry of St. Augustine, may sustain you in spirit while you fast in body so that the inner man, thus refreshed by suitable food, may be able to accomplish and to preserve courageously in the disciplining of the outer man. See, beloved, if we only fast outwardly, it's of no profit to us. But if our fast is not from vanity but humility and its interior, then it profits us. St. Augustine says, For to my spirit of devotion, it seems fitting that we who are about to honor the passion of our crucified Lord in the very near future should fashion for ourselves a cross of the bodily pleasures in need of restraint, as the Apostle says in, when, in Paul's letter to the Galatians, and they who belong to Christ have crucified their flesh with its passions and desires. In fact, St. Augustine says, the Christian ought to be suspended constantly on this cross through his entire life, past as it is in the midst of temptation, for there is no time in this life when we can tear out the nails of which the psalmist speaks in the words, pierce thou my flesh with thy fear. Bodily desires constitute the flesh, and the precepts of justice, the nails which, with which the fear of the Lord pierces our flesh and crucifies us as victims acceptable to the Lord, whence the same apostle says, I exhort you, therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a sacrifice, living, holy, pleasing to God. That's Romans chapter 12. Hence, St. Augustine continues, there is a cross in regard to which the servant of God, far from being confounded, rejoices, saying, Paul's quote to the Galatians again, but as for me, 
God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom the world is crucified to me and I to the world. That is a cross, I say, not 40 days duration, but of one's whole life, which is symbolized by the mystical number of 40 days, whether because man, about to lead this life, is formed in the womb for 40 days, as some say, or because the four Gospels agree with the tenfold law and four tens equal to that number, showing that both the Old and New Testaments are indispensable for us in this life, or it may be for some other and more likely reason which a keener and superior intellect can fathom. Hence, Moses and Elias and our Lord himself fasted for 40 days so that it might be suggested to us that in Moses and in Elias and in Christ himself, that is, in the law and the prophets and the gospel, this penance was performed just as it is by us. And so that, <clears throat> so that instead of being won over to and clinging to this world, we might rather put to death the old man, living not in revelry and drunkenness, not in debauchery and wantonness, not in strife and jealousy, but let us put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And as for the flesh, take no thought for its lusts. Live always in this fashion, O Christian, if you do not wish to sink into the mire of this earth. Do not come down from the cross. Moreover, if this ought to be done, through one's entire life with how much <coughs> excuse me <coughs> moreover if this ought to be done through one's entire life with how much greater reason, reason should it be done during these 40 days in which this life is not only past but is also symbolized very beautiful, dear ones. So beautiful. I think, um, let me just see if I can find it. Um, yes, uh, several years ago, Jimmy Aiken, uh, just about the greatest apologist in the Catholic Church, and I worked with him for nine years at Catholic Answers, he wrote some years back, nine things you need to know about Lent. These are just fact factual things. Um, number one, what is Lent? According to the universal norms for the liturgical year and the general Roman cal calendar, excuse me, Lent is a liturgical season that is ordered to preparing for the celebration of Easter. Since the Lenten liturgy prepares for celebration of the Paschal mystery, both catechumens by the various stages of Christian initiation and the faithful who recall their own baptism and do penance. Where does the word Lent come from? The encyclopedia, the Catholic encyclopedia, notes this. <clears throat> the Teutonic word Lent, L-E-N-T, which we employ to denote the 40 days fast preceding Easter, originally meant no more than the spring season. Still, it has been used from the Anglo-Saxon period to translate the more significant Latin term quadragesima. Um, uh, meaning 40 days, 
or more literally, the 40th day. This, in turn, imitated the Greek name for Lent. A word formed, the 40th, a word formed on the analogy of Pentecost, which last was in use for the Jewish festival before New Testament times. We think Pentecost is a Christian word. It's a Jewish word. It means 50, 50 days after Pentecost, 50 days after the Passover, rather. And it was on the Jewish feast of Pentecost that the Holy Spirit descended on the worshipers in Jerusalem, all Israelites, and poured out his spirit on what became the birthday of the church. Pentecost is the birthday of Judaism, the celebration of the giving of the Torah, the law in Mount Sinai. And the birthday of Judaism became the birthday of the church, which is Judaism fulfilled in Christ. Number three, when does Lent begin and end? The 40 days of Lent run from Ash Wednesday up to but excluding the Mass of the Lord's Supper. Exclusive. This means um, that Lent begins at 12 a.m. on Ash Wednesday, that was midnight, just past, and runs to just before the Mass of the Lord's Supper on the evening of Holy Thursday. As soon as the Mass of the Lord's Supper starts, it is a new liturgical season, and that's called the Triduum, meaning Tri-Deum, three days, Holy Thursday, Good Friday, and Holy Saturday. And then we have Easter Sunday. But the Triduum is a very, very holy and special time that begins uh, with the Mass on Holy Thursday when the um, um, when Lent ends officially. Number four, is Lent exactly 40 days long as currently celebrated? And the answer is no. It's actually a little longer than 40 days. The number is approximate for spiritual purposes. And sometimes it's more, and some days it's less. Sometimes it's less. It depends on the calendar. Number five, are the Sundays in Lent part of Lent? They are. Yes. Um, Lent runs from Ash Wednesday to Holy Thursday. No exceptions are made for Sundays. However, the Sundays of this time of year are called the first, second, third, fourth, and fifth Sundays of Lent. The sixth Sunday on which Holy Week begins is called Palm Sunday of the Passion of the Lord. Number six, why is the number 40 significant? And this is a quote straight from Pope Benedict XVI. Lent recalls the 40 days of our Lord's fasting in the desert, which he undertook before entering into his public ministry. We read in the Gospel, Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was hungry. Like Moses, who fasted before receiving the tablets of the law, and Elijah's fast before meeting the Lord on Mount Horeb, Jesus too, through prayer and fasting, prepared himself for the mission that lay before him, marked at the start by a series, a serious battle with the tempter. Um, there's the music for our first break, dear ones. We'll be back after the break. We'll continue with the meaning of Lent. And after the second break, we'll have a full half hour all to ourselves to take your calls and your emails. If you wish to call in ahead of time, the toll-free number is 1-877-511-5483 or email at mother at 
thestationofthecross.com. We'll be right back. beloved this is mother miriam how would you like to wake up each morning to inspiring sermons from knowledgeable and faith-filled priests you can tune in to sermons for everyday living every day at 6 a.m eastern on the station of the cross you can listen on the station of the or anytime on the free iCatholic radio mobile app god bless you prayer to the Sacred Heart that St. Gertrude the Great wrote, I salute thee, O Sacred Heart of Jesus, living and vivifying source of eternal life, infinite treasure of the divinity, ardent furnace of divine love. Thou art the place of my repose and my refuge. Enkindle in my heart the fire of that ardent love with which thine own is inflamed. Pour into my heart the great graces of which thine is the source, and grant that my heart may be so closely united to thine, that thy will may be mine, and that my will may be eternally conformed to thine, since I desire that henceforth thy holy will may be the rule of all my desires and all my actions. Amen. Bumper magnets are a great way to promote the gospel as proclaimed through Catholic radio. We hear all the time from new listeners who were introduced to the station through a bumper magnet. We'd be happy to send you a bumper magnet so that others can come to know our Lord. Just go to thestationofthecross.com and find our bumper magnet request button under the About tab. That's thestationofthecross.com under the About tab. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. And we are live, and this is Ash Wednesday the first day of Lent, and it is day of fasting and abstinence, fasting um, from food, uh, abstinence from meat. Um, And uh, it's 40 days, uh, approximately 40 days Lent, and we are uh, looking at Jimmy Aiken's nine things to know during the season of Lent. We're up to number six. Why is the number 40 significant? I'll repeat this. Lent recalls, this is from Pope Benedict XVI's um, message for Lent in 2009. Lent recalls the 40 days of our Lord's fasting in the desert, which he undertook before entering into his public ministry. We read in the Gospel that Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And keep in mind, dear ones, He was not led by the devil. He was led by God, by the Holy Spirit, to be tempted by the devil. He fasted, Jesus did, for 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards was hungry. 
like Moses, who fasted before receiving the tablets of the law, and Elijah's fast before meeting the Lord on Mount Horeb, Jesus, too, through prayer and fasting, prepared himself for the mission that lay before him, marked at the start by a serious battle with the tempter. And I would say, dear ones, if Jesus, if Moses would fast before receiving the tablets of the law, and Elijah before meeting the law on Mount Horeb, Horeb is synonymous with Sinai, should we not fast before receiving the Lord himself in the Holy Eucharist? Number seven, what are the rules for fasting in Lent? Now, these are, they're not past rules, which were much more extensive than this, but these are current rules. Ash Wednesday and Good Friday are days of fast. The law of fast binds those who are from 18 to 59 years old. Unless they are excused for a sufficient reason, such as a medical condition that requires more frequent food and so on. According to the church's official rules, as opposed to someone's personal summary of them, the law of fasting allows only one full meal a day, but does not prohibit taking some food in the morning and evening, observing, as far as quantity and quality are concerned, approved local custom and that's from the Apostolic Constitution, Norms um, uh, Penitemini, I'm not pronouncing that correctly. The system of mitigated fasting that is required by law thus allows for one full meal and some food in the morning and evening. The Church's official document governing the practice of fasting does not encourage scrupulous calculations about how much the two instances of some food add up to, though obviously each individual, uh, each individually is less than a full meal since only one of those is allowed. Number eight, what are the rules for abstinence in Lent? And that's meaning abstinence from meat. It used to be from meat products, milk and eggs and everything else, but I don't believe that's any longer the case. Here's what it says. Ash Wednesday and all Fridays of Lent are days of abstinence, as well as Good Friday. An exception is if a solemnity falls on a Friday, but no solemnities fall on Fridays in um, in certain years. So all Fridays are days of abstinence. Depends upon the year. The law of abstinence binds those who are 14 years old or older, that is, from meat. From fasting, it's 18 years. From abstinence, it's 14 years. According to the church's official rules, the law of abstinence forbids the use of meat, but not of eggs, the products of milk, or condiments made of animal. Um, Number nine, do you have to give up something for Lent? If you do... Can you have it on Sundays? The traditional custom of giving up something for Lent is voluntary. Consequently, if you give something up, you set you set the parameters. If you choose to allow yourself to have it on Sundays as to promote joy on this holy day, that's up to you. You see, the church does not require you to give anything up from Lent at all. It requires only fasting on Ash Wednesday and Good Friday, and abstinence uh, from meat on Ash Wednesday and all Fridays of Lent. That's it. Unless one of the Fridays is a solemnity. And um, let's see now. 
Okay. Much more can be said of Lent, beloved. Um, Much more. But the fasting that needs to be done, dear ones, is really the fasting of the heart from everything that is not virtuous, from everything that will take us from God, to increase your prayer time, to increase your spiritual reading, something very good that will help you to understand the sacrifice of our Lord on the cross for us. And almsgiving, that's very, very important. So whatever you fast from, and again, it's wonderful for individuals in the family to fast, and um, you can let the family know what you're fasting from so everybody could be praying for you. And there's also accountability. Let's say one of the children says, I'm going to fast from peanut butter, and if he keeps it to himself... One day he can give in and have peanut butter and nobody will know that's legitimate. But if he says, I'm fasting from peanut butter, there's a certain accountability. And accountability helps make us holy because we would give in otherwise to things we may not give in to when there's accountability. That's why it's so important. I suggested before, it's still not too late, that you come together as a family and sit around and talk about the penances that you will do. Uh, as a family and individually. So, for example, we did that in our religious community. We determined certain penances as a community over Lent. Um, uh, We pray from 5 in the morning uh, till 8.30 at night, the rule of St. Benedict, and we have an hour and a half holy hour plus every day, and we pray the offices, and for Lent, we decided to add two additional times of prayer, Um, and to fast, to abstain from meat all of Lent, and then for the sisters to write down individual penances that they want to do in addition to that, and what book or books they want to read, and which need to be approved by the the superior or the prioress. Um, It's a very good thing for you to carry on the same practice in your families. let the children bring to you what they want to read or ask you, and you can recommend something to them. Um, and let them each bring you at least one penance of something they wanted to do, want to do beyond what the family is doing together. Uh, it could be giving up chocolate. It could be giving up soda. It could be um, uh, giving up biting your nails. It could be something. But something that will help the passions of the body. Um, so that they don't control you, you control them. And then again, as a family or individually, there should be a form of almsgiving and prayer for sure. So um, uh, we've got a few minutes left to the break, dear ones. Um, And uh, you are welcome to call in with anything whatsoever on your heart, even from this time on, even before the break. You're welcome.
we're not on the air. Some uh, and now I'm using my cell phone. We had some connection issues here, uh, here in Winona. Uh, it's in a huge. The sky is very dark, and it's a huge storm outside. So that's interfered with um, with the sound and the program and all of this. So uh, hopefully you can still hear me uh, audibly, even if we cannot be live on the video, but we are live. And I'm taking an email from Matthew. We'll, we'll just get into it before the break. And Matthew says, why do so many Catholics seem to gravitate toward attending mass on Ash Wednesday, even if they do not regularly attend mass throughout the rest of the year? Matthew, it's crazy. It's crazy. People tend to cultural things, even when they are not particularly religious. And so, um, there are many Jews who keep Passover because it's tradition, even though they don't celebrate it properly or know the deep meaning of it. Uh, there are Christmas and Easter Catholics who go for the holy days or the holidays in their mind because it's, it's a special time and they get something. So people come for Ash Wednesday because they get ashes. And many people come. They're not even Catholics who come. I think I told a story once of a... Uh, Jewish woman who came for ashes and the priest said, but you're Jewish, why are you coming for ashes? And she said, well, I figured it couldn't hurt. So, you know, that people have a sense of sacramental somehow, even if they don't understand and, and they flock to get what they can of God, even though they're not uh, devout in religion. God has put the desire with it within every heart. And I think that's the crux of it. Okay. Um, so, beloved, we now are going to the break, and we'll be right back after the break. And we'll take your calls, your te- your emails. Uh, as soon as we come back, toll free one eight seven seven five one one five four eight three, or email at mother at thestationofthecross dot com. We'll be right back. I worked in pro baseball for a long time, and we play on Sundays. And it was an easy excuse. Uh, I took the easy out and just didn't go to Mass. Got caught up in that whole selfishness, that whole, you know, um, I can do it all. The times when I was struggling were the times I needed God the most. And now that uh, I 
come back and accepted God, my world has completely changed. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for any reason, visit catholicscomehome.org today. This is Franciscan Media's Saint of the Day for February 22nd. Today we celebrate the chair of St. Peter the Apostle. Put another way, today we commemorate Christ's choosing of Peter to sit in his place as the earthly leader of the church, its first pope. Probably the best-known biblical text for today's feast is found in the 16th chapter of Matthew's Gospel, where Jesus describes Peter as the rock upon whom he will build his church and promises him the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Peter has a unique status as the first disciple Jesus calls at the outset of his public ministry. Likewise, Peter is consistently named first among the twelve disciples. He witnessed Jesus transfigured and was asked to watch and pray with the Lord during the agony in the garden. Rushing to the empty tomb after the resurrection, John steps aside to allow Peter to enter before him. From early times, the chair or cathedra from which a bishop presided over his people became a symbol of his teaching authority. It was so for Peter as first bishop of Rome, and it remains so for the more than 260 popes who have followed him. There's more about the saints along with inspiration and Catholic resources at our website, saintoftheday.org. From Franciscan Media, this has been Saint of the Day. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. I am Mother Miriam. We are live, but a tremendous storm down here in Winona, Texas, has cut our video out. So we are live by phone right now, and you are welcome to call in with anything whatsoever on your heart. Our lines are one open, our phone lines, and this is your anything at all that you wish to ask about. Um, we, we do our best to see if we could help or, or get resources that might help. Um, the toll-free number, one 511 5483 or email at mother at We have an email from Colin. Colin says, on Ash Wednesday, if there are ashes left over from an earlier Mass that have already been blessed, is it still necessary to go through the blessing ceremony a second time at the following Mass? No, it is not. If they're already blessed, they don't have to be blessed again. Um, if the priest goes through the blessing ceremony at the second Mass, he may do it for the sake of the people that are there, just so they see that it's blessed, or he may add additional uh, ashes and bless them. So the priest may have a reason to do that, but no, they don't have to be re-blessed. We have an email from Elizabeth who says, Hi, Mother. I am from a six-child Catholic family, and I am married and have a baby. I am afraid that most of my siblings do not practice anymore, but our parents do. I wanted some advice regarding my older sister. She has always been rebellious toward our parents. She would confide or complain to me for years. She rarely had a stable or kind parent relationship. 
At first, I went along with it regarding our parents as tyrannical. Then I grew out of it. I stressed, it stressed me out that she continued to complain about our parents to me and how she was always a victim. I got uncharitably busy with school and work with all my relationships. I started to distance myself from her as she went to the local college. She recognized me as liking, she puts liking in quotes, as liking my parents, especially after two siblings left the house in rebellion against our parents, but I stayed home. The relationship was a very tight boundaried invitation only, not your business type of relationship afterward with all three of them. She would let her guard down and welcome me, but she would pull up tight boundaries at a moment's notice. For example, she invited me to a group that, a group chat via text message, which I politely declined. I wanted to be friendly and instead messaged her privately and asked about her daughter's birthday and pictures. She told me I was rude and cut me off for over a month. We even felt like outsiders at her wedding. I sympathized with my parents and thought rebellion and those boundaries were ridiculous and would tell parents any details of the three lives that came my way, but I would have not said anything if my siblings specifically asked me not to share. Our parents can be very overbearing, but they did not deserve a fraction of this treatment. Suddenly, as Elizabeth is almost done with this email, suddenly after I got pregnant, my sister became very interested in me. She has been very clear that she wants to build a closer relationship and lately has been almost aggressive. But in doing so, she has broken so many boundaries that she herself holds dear. For example, she called my husband without my knowledge and asked how I was doing what was going on, what we needed, etc. But I'm not even allowed to have her husband's number. Oh, what a, what a complicated situation this is, huh, Elizabeth? She says, I want to approach her about everything and maintain a new relationship, but I cannot have a genuine relationship with all of this baggage unanswered. I wish I had been more courageous and sensitive to the three needs, three's needs years ago. Thank you, Elizabeth. Um, Elizabeth, dear, uh, you cannot undo all that baggage, and you cannot go back and be more sensitive, and you cannot go back and undo what you did about talking to your parents about their details, which, which you really have no right to do, even if you're not asked to do. And I say this to everyone. When someone tells you something, they don't have to say don't tell anyone. They don't have to say it's a secret. It is uh, under the, um, the general Catholic understanding of confession. You don't, it doesn't have to be told you that it's private or secret. You don't repeat it without somebody's permission. If someone has told you something, if you want to repeat it, you need to get their permission. Otherwise, you keep it to yourself. That is so forgotten in today's casual, irreverent society. So you fail the Elizabeth. You didn't know it at the time. And now, uh, what I, since your sister wants to begin this good and new relationship with you, receive her and forgive her as God in Christ has received and forgiven you and me and all of us. 
Don't go back into history. Don't try to mend past things. If someone comes to you to mend them, just speak to them, apologize for your part, and say, I'm so sorry. You know, we get older, we look in hindsight, and we're wiser now, and we wish things wouldn't have happened, but we can't go back. So we're sorry, and just go forward. Um, you must be very clear with your sister. Um, you, you need to speak with your husband, number one, and he needs to say, when she calls him, it's extremely inappropriate for her to call him. He needs to say, I don't know your sister's name. He needs to say, Susie or whatever her name is, you need to call Elizabeth on these things. Don't call me to ask me how she is. It's just not appropriate for you to be calling me. You need to be calling your sister. When we're all together, you can talk to me and all of that, but it's inappropriate for you to call me, your sister's husband, to have any kind of private conversation. So uh, your husband needs to tell, tell her that. Uh, not just you, because if you tell her that, she'll think it's your, uh, that you're against her. She will not understand that it's inappropriate. So your husband needs to man up and tell her uh, that it's not appropriate uh, for her to call him. Don't answer. If she, says, if she calls and says, how's Elizabeth, your husband needs to say, Susie or whatever her name is, um, it's not appropriate for you to call me on these things. And really for you to call me on anything, unless it's an emergency, you can't get a hold of Elizabeth, it's just not appropriate. So give Elizabeth a call. He needs to know that, and he needs to do that. And if, if she talks to you about it, say, just say to her, I know you don't mean a bad or anything, it's inappropriate for a woman to call another woman's husband, even though we're sisters. You just need to say that calmly and lovingly. If she gets offended, she gets offended. Okay, all right, Elizabeth, God bless you. Um, we have a call from Mark in Haywood, California. Hi, Mark. Oh, hi. Uh, good morning, Mother. How are you? I'm wonderful, Mark. Uh, and how about yourself? Oh, I'm okay, yeah. Just woke okay. up a few minutes ago. But, oh, but anyway, good morning. Really... Oh, you're in California. Yeah. It's two hours earlier. That's yeah. right. Okay. I know, yeah. But anyway, uh, this is with regards to some of the callers that you have that have homosexual yeah. tendencies. Yeah. The thing is, uh, there are doctors that would help them from yeah. instead of gender affirming healthcare. They can help them through gender transition, like a homosexual man becoming a happily married man with a woman or a lesbian in transition to becoming a happily married woman with a man, something like that. But mm -hmm. the tricky part is the politics involved in it, though. Not all doctors will do that, though. But those callers that you have, there are probably some doctors who would help them through gender transition, meaning from homosexual. There's no question. To, yeah. Go ahead, Mark. I'm but sorry. The uh, there's, no, there's no question about this. There's, there are many good doctors out there, especially Catholic doctors. Oh, a Christian, yeah. um, a non-Catholic Christian, many doctors who, uh, psychologists who will help yeah, um, the woundedness of individuals. Of course, Mark. Yeah, they are you a doctor yourself? No, no, I'm not talking about myself. I, I was just no. I, I wonder if you were a doctor. Okay. Uh huh. No, no, I'm not that one. But my former doctors is 
one of my doctors is into that. Although I saw him, her rather for insomnia, though not for gender transition, though. Of course, of course. But yeah. no, Mark, your your call is good, and I would encourage anyone with homosexuality tendencies or acting or gender ideology, whatever it is, um, there's no happiness and there's no freedom being outside of what God has done uh, and how he has created you. And Jesus said the truth will set you free. It will always set us free to be just who God made us. And um, I would I would beg anyone struggling with those issues to seek good psychological and even medical help. Absolutely, Mark. Yeah, and then my prayers are towards them. I pray for them always. That's all, Mother. Okay, Mark. God bless you, sweetheart. Go back to sleep if you can. Okay, oh, thanks no, no, for I'm, calling I'm in. Now. <laughs> I know it, I know it, sweetheart. Thanks for calling in, Mark. God bless you. Okay, we have an email from Elizabeth, different Elizabeth now, and says, so what is the deal about the red hooker? What is the deal about the red heifer? Um, I've been hearing about this. In fact, I just read about the red cow sacrifice in the book of Numbers today. Yes, it's Numbers chapter 19. I still do not get the significance, nor do I understand why someone would want the temple rebuilt in Jerusalem when some of us know that that means the Antichrist will be just around the corner. Is this wanting the temple to be rebuilt in Jerusalem a misinterpretation of chapters? of the book of the apocalypse. No, my goodness, Elizabeth, this is Jewish understanding. That's not Christian. This is not Catholic or Christian understanding. Jews don't read the book of the apocalypse. And what they want, the temple, since its destruction, uh, there's no sacrificial system in Jerusalem. And they want the temple to be rebuilt uh, in order to reinstitute the sacrificial system. And in order for the the reinstitution of the sacrificial system, they have to follow the Leviticus law in number in Numbers chapter 19, where God has specified the red heifer. That's what God wants. Um, that has to be holy, without blemish, without spot, and only such a cow, so such a red heifer, without blemish, without spot. It's a unique animal. Only such a one. Um, can suffice to be killed and completely burned. And the heifers of a red, uh, the ashes of a red heifer are what is needed to purify an altar so that the sacrificial system can be uh, begun once again. Which is why in place of finding a red heifer, which the Jewish people have been in search of for years, it would be the Ark of the Covenant that has been lost. Need to be found because the ash, the ashes of a red heifer would be in the tabernacle. If they find that ark, they could use those ashes. But short of that, they need to sacrifice a new red heifer. And Numbers chapter 19. This is for Jewish understanding. This isn't for Catholics. Um, who, the Catholics don't want the temple rebuilt, and Catholics understand that the Jewish inaugurated because it never ceased. Um, the, the, it ceased in the putting to death of all animals who stayed dead, but it was fulfilled in Christ 
the final Lamb of God who said, I didn't come to destroy the Lord, but to, the, the law, but to fulfill it. And he is the sacrifice, the ongoing perpetual sacrifice, and the only sacrifice, the Jewish sacrifice, the only sacrifice that God will accept. There's the music for our final break, beloved. We'll have 10 minutes when we come back. Still time for your calls if you wish. Toll free, one 511 5483 or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. We'll be right back here once. Do you love listening to the Station of the Cross on your car radio, but sometimes find yourself driving outside the listening area? Never miss another minute of your favorite show. Download the iCatholic Radio app so you can listen anywhere in the world 24 hours a day. The iCatholic Radio app is available for your phone in the Apple Store or for your Android phone in Google Play. Visit thestationofthecross.com for more information. Here at the Station of the Cross, we proudly bring the truths of the Catholic faith to countless listeners through radio and mobile devices, and we're grateful for the feedback we've received. I discovered the Station of the Cross rather providentially a year ago. I've been a loyal listener ever since. I can't overestimate the value of the station when it's made a difference in my life in terms of making me better informed Catholic. It has enriched my faith and sold me during tough times. It made me laugh on several occasions. I commend the important work of this great apostolate. I'm a stay-at-home mom. I listen to the radio. And if I can listen to something that brings me closer to God, closer to Jesus Christ, then it's the most beautiful thing. If you've been blessed by listening to the Station of the Cross, let us know. Call 1-877-888-6279, extension 112. Then share your testimonial with us. What you're offering and giving to me, you deserve to get back because you're offering more than I can give. I learned so much through the station on the cross. I listen to the radio station daily and I absolutely love it. I was attending the chapel and places like that and through your programs I was able to find out how other Protestants had come back into the Catholic Church. God bless the station of the cross. Donate today at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. We are live. We're coming to you by... uh, my cell phone at the moment because we've got a sizable storm here in Texas and it cut out the video. Um, but we're with you in another 10 minutes and our lines are open. Uh, you're welcome to call in with anything on your heart. Toll free one eight seven seven five one one five four eight three or email at mother at the station of the dot com. We have an email from Richard and he writes, dear mother, I am a 70 year old non-Catholic who listens to your counseling. While I do not always agree with what you say, I do believe that you represent what true Catholicism used to be and should be. Bless you, Richard. Um, And 
it's what it still is, Richard. Um, uh, I tell you what, I think of a statement of uh, a Catholic apologist Frank Sheet a couple centuries back who said the church is the cause of the holiness of her members, but its holiness is not measured by their response. The truth of the church has never changed because Christ is truth, and it's his truth that cannot change. Fortun- unfortunately, the behavior of its members have, has changed greatly, which makes nothing right. Um, Let's see now. Richard says, I hope that you will be able to comment on the contents of this email on the air sometime soon. One night way back in 1970, I was watching Johnny Carson's Tonight Show when he was still in New York. His first guest that night was a plain clothes Catholic sister, see back in 1970, awful, who was president of a Catholic women's college in Westchester County, New York. I do not remember her name or the name of her school, but I do recall she wore a modest short sleeve dress. She told Carson in the audience that earlier that day, she had swam naked in the swimming pool of the show's announcer and had a sexual relations with him. I'm sorry to be reading this on the air. Later, I mentioned this incident to a godly elderly Catholic lady friend who told me she thought that woman was sick. Your lady friend is right. The woman is sick, and she is not a Catholic. I don't care what she claims. She's not Catholic. She may have been baptized Catholic, but she is not Catholic. Or I could say maybe she'll be always Catholic, but she'll be a Catholic in hell if she doesn't repent. And uh, Richard says, I agree and still agree. So do I, Richard. But most of the Catholics I discussed this with told me that Christ approved of what this woman did. Um, and said, and that it was totally excusable on the grounds that times are changing, and after all, she was only human. She was only human, and a greatly fallen human at that. Times are changing, but truth does not. Shame on your Catholic friends, who are not Catholic either. And if they think they are, they're in grave danger if they think they're on their way to hell, or to heaven, rather, because they are not, unless they repent. Richard says they also told me if the general public saw Catholic clergy and religious acting gross, carnal, atheistic, and worldly, it would attract tons of people to fall in love with Jesus, that churches, seminaries, and convents would be packed to the rafters, and there would be an Apostle Paul on every street corner, which of course didn't happen, thanks be to God. Fast forward to a Detroit suburb in November 2007, Richard's still speaking. The plainclothes sister, who was principal of a Catholic elementary school, kept the children in church after Novus Ordo Mass and scolded them for using foul language on the playground. She then proceeded, in the presence of Jesus, the blessed sacrament in the tabernacle, to list the objectionable words, including the four-letter ones, and slang terms for the human anatomy. Some of the parents were shocked. Half of them applauded and the kids seemed to think it was okay. After the incident, the sister bragged about it all to the media, and a very liberal Jesuit magazine fully endorsed what she did. I wonder, he says, how Ignatius Loyola would react to that. He would have her excommunicated, I'll tell you that, and so should the bishop have done so. He says, in my opinion, this woman should have submitted her complaint in the form of a mass email to the student body and let the parents deal with it discreetly. 
No, I wouldn't want her to send mass email to anybody. To me, if you're going to talk and act like Lenny Bruce or George Carlin, whoever those people were back then, don't do it in God's house. You're right, Richard. I think one of the best descriptions of the post-Vatican II Catholic Church can be found in the very last verses of the book of Judges. Quote, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Thank you, Richard. Richard, you are tragically right. You are tragically right. I am, uh, it's not necessarily the outcome of Vatican II, but it has been the outcome in large measure of Vatican II, everyone doing what is right in their own sight, which doesn't say that people didn't do it before Vatican II. Something before Vatican II ought to be extremely wrong for everybody, hundreds of priests and, and sisters, to walk out and leave the faith at Vatican II. If you know what the church is, you don't leave Jesus for Judas. You don't do that. So something was very wrong with many people's faith, thousands of people, if they would leave the church after Vatican II. Um, just that it would be very wrong today with all the uh, atrocities going on um, and, and, and the Pope trying to shut down the traditional mass if people left the church. You don't leave the church because of people. Um, if you know what the church is, you simply don't leave it because you're leaving Christ. Uh, so, Richard, I don't know what Christian denomination you are or, or what your faith is, but you are very right, and you are more intuitive than many Catholics these days. Um, I would beg you to look into the Church, and if you agree with it and you understand it, don't let anything, not fallen away Catholics, not bad popes and bishops and anyone else, don't let them keep you from Christ. Uh, in the Arian heresy, uh, in the, uh, what was it, fourth century or so, um, every bishop, almost every bishop, um, was against the doctrine of the dual nature of Christ, that he was both God and man. And, and bishops were against it, leading the, the sheep astray. But the truth will always win and can never, ever, ever change. Richard, dear, um, I beg you to uh, either email or call or go to my website, Mother of Israel's Hope, and click on contact and email me directly and let me know what is keeping you from the Catholic Church. Don't let individuals who have gone astray, bad Catholics, errant Catholics, heretic Catholics, don't let them keep you from heaven and the full measure of Christianity that God has given. And I say that to everyone else. We're just about at the end of the program, so I won't take another email at this point. Um, but I beg you all, know your faith, and don't be turned away from it by uh, sisters living in sin, by priests living in sin, by bishops living in sin and using their power to control the faithful and squash them. Don't let that determine your walk with God. Don't let anybody get in the way of that. I'm about to send an email out tonight because there's a new article today on Pope Francis and the head of the doctrine of worship, uh, Roach, um, uh, Cardinal Roach, um, 
limiting the traditional mass and shutting it down more than um, and how to respond to that well I'll have an email out hopefully by the end of the today if you're on our email list you will receive it if you're not you're welcome to go to our website uh, motherofisraelshope.org click the newsletter sign up and you can get it by email and or sale mail I send out maybe four emails in the entire year and our newsletters maybe three so you're not going to be rewarded um, again if you're not on our email list once something's been sent out you can always go to our home page and see the email that we've sent out it's a very crucial one today 